This podcast is sponsored by Inspired Adventures, our fellow B Corp friends and the leading adventure fundraising agency in Australia and New Zealand. From humble, hopeful beginnings in 2005, Inspired Adventures have since managed over 500 life-changing charity challenges for their charity partners and have helped raise over $30 million for worthwhile causes. If you're itching for a new adventure, be inspired and buy better by B. To find out more, visit dumbofeather.com forward slash buy better by B. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Dumbo Feather podcast, a monthly series where we chat with inspiring, thought-provoking guests who are doing their bit to make the world better. I'm Nathan Scalaro from Dumbo Feather, and this month on the podcast, we're hearing from New York-based illustrator extraordinaire, Murray Andrew. Murray's captivating, relatable portrayals of her personal life and the world around her have made her an Instagram sensation, drawing a following of nearly one million people worldwide. In this live event hosted by our sister company, The School of Life, Murray chats with Dumbo Feather contributor Sarah Darmody and unpacks six guiding themes that have helped her navigate her journey to adulthood, including resilience, authenticity and healing. She's a complete delight and wise beyond her years, and this conversation is full of beautiful, tender moments and reveals. We hope you love it as much as we do. It is exciting. I just got to see Mari's warm-up dance backstage. We might get her to do that at the end. Sure. <laughs> so we all have some, something to look forward to. Um, at the School of Life, we've isolated a couple of themes, six themes that we think are really important to the kinds of concepts and um, complexities that we like to discuss and work through, and uh, Mari sort of covers them all, and then some. But Mari, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something that I think is really pertinent to to growing up, to growing the self, to becoming the self, and that is the process of discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> about this time last year, I was recovering from um, a debilitating disease, which paralyzed most of my body for a month. And it took a few months to recover from it. I was getting a little stronger every day for about six months. I'm still recovering from it. And, and you um, couldn't draw, could you? I couldn't draw. Thing? I couldn't do anything. Um, and a lot of people after that experience, during that experience, still do ask me all the time, what did you learn from that? As though like every difficult time in life mm-hmm. has this kind of like, here's your gift, a lesson. Here, like, it's a, it's and what a teachable can you... moment. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and what can you impart from your suffering to us? What can we, the non-sufferers, learn from your experience? <laughs> and it, it seems, um, I mean, life doesn't work that way. <laughs> and I think that we think there's some, like, great cosmic reward for suffering, like, okay, I really went through this and now I get something, now I get some life wisdom or knowledge. I, I you know, it just didn't come. It still hasn't come. And <laughs> I'm so any day now. And, um, 
you know, there was this kind of idea that, well, something good will come out of this. You'll get your silver lining. And I just didn't. Mm. And um, I realized the only thing you can do with pain is to make it purposeful for yourself. So for me, um, you know, I like to draw. It makes mm -hmm. me happy. And I draw the, the really hard things that I go through. And so for me, that's a silver lining that I've made myself, but that's not like the gift, you know, mm -hmm. that I got out of it. It's just the part that I worked on. And so I think that's the only thing that you can do with the hard things in life is to give them a, a purpose, whether it's to connect with other people, it does make you very empathetic, or, you know, to um, just be able to understand more about the breadth of human experience and what makes a life really whole and, and beautiful. Because um, we, all, we all suffer, don't we? I mean, to various, various degrees, we're not all going to be laid up with a, a paralyzing, debilitating illness, yeah. I hope. Yeah. Uh, and I think it relates a lot to growing up, is the moment where you realize when that things are going to happen to you, things keep mm -hmm. happening to you, and you can't control that. That's as you describe, inevitable. Mm -hmm. But the, the part that you can control, it might be very, very small, but yeah. discovering that part mm -hmm. that you have some kind of control over, is that, that what you're talking about when you, when you describe yeah. Yeah. art is something that you can at least control? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and getting to know yourself better. I don't think that's ever a wasted experience. Yeah. And even, you know, when I was paralyzed, I couldn't draw or write, or more importantly for me, uh, move my legs. Mm. Um, I'd sort of spent 10 years figuring out the things that really worked for me that I love to do, things I can rely on that make me really happy. And the number one thing that makes me happy is exploring the world. Mm -hmm. And that could just mean like going to a coffee shop. You know, it doesn't have to mean traveling. And when I lost the ability to do that, I lost a lot of curiosity and mm -hmm. ability to discover. So what I had to do is I took an online history class and I started nice. learning about wine. And I, you know, I did things. <laughs> I don't totally recommend that, like if you're depressed, but I <laughs> but I did things that I could do with very limited physical ability. You know, I had to expand my mind. I had to, I learned like I, I wanted to learn like the flags of every country, you know, like things that I could do that Was were... Was that after the wine that you wanted to learn the flags? <laughs> like, this is the time I got France and Russia mixed up. But um, yeah, I, uh, you know, it was like, what can I explore? It's like that movie or book, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which was really mm. influential to me at the time. And it's um, the story of this man who um, is completely paralyzed, but he uses his mind to like explore, you know, corners of his imagination and memory that he's always wanted to. And that's an excellent example. He, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful book that I'd recommend to everyone and very short because it was dictated through the, the use of, of one blinking eye that he was left with uh, from locked, locked in syndrome. So I think somebody assisted him, right, go through the alphabet. Yeah. And then when he'd get to the letter that he wanted to use, he was able to indicate that and it's an incredible work yeah. and I, I think that is an, also an excellent example of discovering what you can control. Yes. Uh, I mean literally yes. one eyelid. If that's all you've got, you that's can still, all you got. That's yeah. all you've got but yeah. you can still create a work of great beauty yes, and meaning exactly. that is then touching you. Yeah. Which is exactly. very remarkable. Exactly. So you know I mean I, I think 
because we are talking about growing up and the process of growing up, when do you think that uh, discovery, that moment of discovery came for you, that you had things that were within your control? Yeah, I think, I mean, so much of my 20s kind of felt like things were happening inevitably. Even though in hindsight, I think I've always been really intentional. You know, I've intentionally chosen a sort of magical life for myself. And I, but I think that, you know, at the time, I thought, oh, I'm just like, I have to move to this city for a job, or I have to be dating this guy because he asked me out. Or, you know, and I thought everything that I did had to be so... It had to kind of be the end, the end game. You know, like, if I'm going to take this job when I'm 25, that means I have to be on this career path. People are going to ask me, what are you going to do with that? Um, when I started my Instagram account, people asked me, what are you going to do with that? You know, it's like, everything has to have a purpose. And the beautiful thing about what I do now is that um, it, I know you all are a very progressive city. It reminds me a lot of composting. Um, it's like, <laughs> which we're like just getting in New York, like we're so behind. But um, it's like the idea of taking scraps, like the things that weren't completely purposeful in a recipe or in your lunch or whatever, and then making into healthy dirt. I don't know how composting <laughs> works, but you know, like making, <laughs> you're making like growth. I, it, this is the definition. It's to very me. important stuff. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. I, I think the definition of creativity is making something out of nothing. So at a certain point when I was in my late twenties, when I started, I started when I was 28, um, I was taking all of the scraps of my life. So like jobs that I didn't, that didn't go anywhere, or um, relationships that definitely didn't go anywhere, and maybe took me like way off path, or um, cities I lived in for, I don't know why, you know, I, God knows why I was in Baltimore for a year, um, but I took all of these sort of scraps of life and was making them into something maybe not completely purposeful or intentional, but uh, but something, tea, something nutritious something to, that something could sprout. That someone, from. yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, well, we'll move on to. I mean, the process of of discovery is is something that I think is 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 delicious. Isolation, not so delicious, yeah, but necessary, yeah. I think, uh, to what we're talking about, and something that people f describe feeling most acutely perhaps in their late teenage years and in their mm. 20s. I mean, it's part of the human condition. We can yeah. feel isolated at any point in our life and sometimes um, it can surprise us when we feel like we shouldn't be yeah. feeling isolated. Yeah. When I was considering isolation, I started, and possibly because I'd been looking at your Instagram account too much in the lead up um, <laughs> to tonight, but I, I, I was thinking of different kinds of isolation. They, you know, they seem quite... Uh, limitless, mm. and I was picturing a sort of Marie Andrew illustration for all the, you know, the, a great taxonomy of, of isolation, all the ways yeah. in which a human being can feel isolated, mm. isolated from one's culture, isolated from yeah. oneself, uh, isolated from one's gender, isolated yeah. from, you know, it just, yeah. it goes on really, doesn't it? And you've, you've called it depression. Do you think depression stems from isolation? As, is that a, um, a usual relationship? Do you think? For me, I don't think for everyone, but I've found, I've, 
I've only had clinical depression once, so that was kind of, you know, uh, apart from any circumstances in my life. I was actually living in Italy, like I should have been, you know, really happy, and I found that to be a, a really difficult experience. In the moment, I didn't know what I was experiencing. I just thought, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I not happy here? And, um, and later, you know, in hindsight, I would realize, oh, that was what depression was. Um, since then, and that's when I was quite young, since then I've had um, circumstantial depression, so grief, loss, mm -hmm. um, my disease, and um, it's pretty common for people with a very serious near-fatal illness to have kind of post-traumatic stress, and there was like, you know, this idea of like the afternoon on a Sunday when you just have this sense of dread, you know, but it's like for six months. And it's like, what am I dreading? I don't know, but there's something. And that did come from feeling so alone. Like no one understood what I was going through. No one really wanted to, I don't blame them. And that, I mean, mental illness is, I mean, not only is it really horrible, but it's like so hard to explain to people and they don't get it and they don't really want to get it. And do you think it's quite particular to youth? that sense of isolation I think, and otherness? I think otherness. it can be, yeah. yeah, because you just don't have the emotional resources yet. I think, you know, until I was 28, I'd never lost anyone close to me. I'd never um, experienced, like, hitting a rock-bottom place. And I knew, most people I know, knew at the time, and still, you know, I didn't know people who had really suffered from grief. So for them, it was like the only thing they had to compare was like when their cat died or like a breakup or something. And it just wasn't, I felt like no one could really understand me. And I think when you are young, again, there's this idea that you have to be going on a trajectory. And if you're just not knowing what you're doing, you're in the majority, yeah. but you feel like you're in the minority because if there was a movie about someone who like, didn't know what they were doing, it wouldn't be very interesting. So yeah. we have to have like plot lines for all of our art and everything. And, um, you know, that doesn't make a great story, but it's certainly where all of us, where most of us live. So do you think that's a, that's a point of growing up then, the point at which we, and maybe that just happens in our 20s, we might experience great suffering or loss for the first time? that you know, hopefully we make it through a childhood without it, but by the time we're in our 20s, we're more likely to encounter grief? Possibly, I think a lot of people don't encounter it till much later. It's coming for you, but <laughs> it's, I think a lot of people don't really have that. I mean, I, I've met a lot, I'm 31 now, I've, I've met so many people who have never had you know, anything truly earth-shattering happened to them. Mm. Um, I think what's more common is this profound sense of uncertainty, and I think that can be as disorienting. I mean, I think that is its own type of grief. Um, yeah. When I was dealing with the loss of my father and a loss of a relationship and some health issues at the same time, Something that I was also dealing with, which was almost harder, was my uncertainty in life. And I felt so lonely dealing mm. with that, which is hilarious because like none of us know what we're doing. Yeah. But, you know, I just didn't think that that was okay. Well, that's part of isolation though, isn't it? Absolutely. We don't know what we're doing, but we have a sense that we should. And so we're yeah. isolated from others because we believe that everyone else 
everyone out there knows yeah. what they should be doing. So if we're not like you, then we're alone. Oh my gosh, <laughs> if you don't have like an exciting thing to talk about at a dinner party, like what, what good are you, what good is your life? I mean, I would have to think about things like I'm going to have to maybe lie. Like I was um, living in Washington, D.C., which is my nation's capital. And um, that's a very career centered city. I don't know if there's like an equivalent here, but it's like, you know, everyone's very into their careers. And I was like working 17 jobs that I didn't really, that were like overlapping and I didn't really care about any of them. And so at a party, you know, people would ask me, what do you do? And I thought, oh, I'm going to be like the interesting bohemian. I'm going to say I'm a writer because I like to write and I have a blog. And people would ask me like, oh, where are you published? And I'd have to say, internet like I don't know maybe you've heard and, of it <laughs> and it that was really like while I was dealing with that grief I was also I mean again at the same time like dealing with this real uncertainty about who I was and what I was doing and like I can't keep lying at dinner parties I can't mm. keep you know I have to figure this out what am I about who am mm. I what am I how am I gonna speak in confidence about who I am even if it's like you know, work like I was a barista for a long time. Even if it's like doing that, that's perfectly legit. Why was I not more mm. confident in who I was and what I was doing? Like I'm a barista and I love, you know, dancing. And were, and were you able to articulate that to yourself at the time? Do you think? No, you, no, no, I just no. You I you didn't go I was, home from the dinner party and sit on the end of the bed and say, like, "Mari, who am I?" <laughs> <laughs> you need to just own the things you're passionate about. Not no. at all. I thought I was completely messed up. I mean, I thought there was something wrong with me, mm. and it took the beauty of hitting rock bottom. The absolute beauty of that is you have to look at all of your life. Like it becomes so clear. And you don't have like sunshine beaming on the parts of your life that aren't perfect. It's all overcast, you know, it's all very, very clear. And um, so I realized, oh, like why, like I've been living in my apartment for two years. Why don't I like the way it looks? Why haven't I taken the time to make this beautiful for myself? Why am I not, why have I just said that I wanted to learn salsa dancing for like 10 years, like why am I not doing that? And so, you know, that's when I really started thinking, if I'm the person that I want to be, then I won't be like ashamed of myself. So it took getting to that place to realize that. And I hope, you know, for everyone that you don't have to get to that place to start being the person you want to be. So for you, it had to be, it had to be a place where nothing made sense, everything was bleak exactly. before you realised, I need to change things, yeah. I need to tinker. Yeah. So is that, is that when this process of healing began? I mean, you, it's the, the title of your book, The Zigzags and the mm -hmm. Loop de Loops. Mm -hmm. um, there's some false starts, aren't there? Absolutely. When you set out and, then, and how you deal with a false start and a block. Uh, and a loss of momentum, and mm -hmm. then, you know, uh, there must be a lot of self-doubt as well, I for imagine. For sure, for sure. I mean, it could be anything. It could be career or a relationship or um, grief. I always explain mm -hmm. this way, that it's kind of, you know, um, it's more like one step forward and two steps back. It's, um, you know, kind of a twisting 
lane. You never know where you're going to end up. You never know where it's going to take you. And sometimes you feel like, oh, I'm fine now. Everything's great. And then it's like right back. And like even in my career, which is only, you know, two years old, um, there have been times when I thought, oh, wow, Brene Brown's following me. Like, I'm done now. I've made it. <laughs> I've made it. And then like <laughs> something crazy will happen you know, on the internet, and I'll just think, oh my gosh, I'm a failure, I'm like, I'm the worst person who's ever held a pencil in life, you know, and I think you just realize, especially through going through hard things that don't really come to an end, like, I will always be grieving, I will mm -hmm. always be traumatized, I'll, you know, I'll always carry these things with me, um, you sort of realize there is no end. Mm. You and know, there's, there's the, those famous five stages of grief, which is sort of presented as a neat trajectory, right? Right, right. And then, it's hilarious. And then, <laughs> and then there's always fine print at the end of the Wikipedia article or whatever it is that has listed them <laughs> that says you may experience these at the same time. <laughs> you may it's experience so you know, yeah. anger, sadness, acceptance in the same three-minute period totally. and then repeat. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I think that's kind of the way adulthood is, or the way growing up is, is, you know, sometimes you figure out, like, oh, I learned how to do wingtip wing eyeliner, I'm, I'm good now, I'm ready for my debut, and then, you know, you realize, oh, I forgot to pay my electric bill, like, you know, it's definitely, or, you know, there's been times I've gotten into really great relationships, and, you know, I figured out love, and then something mm -hmm. will happen, and so, yeah, I think, I mean, especially like with, given my very unexpected, shocking illness, I realized you can be so, I mean, I, I went to Spain to write my book and that's when I got really sick. And it was such a humbling experience because, um, I mean, I just realized you can work your whole life for something. It can be taken away in a second. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you know, th that like, that's that like that's like off, completely off the chart you know it's like you think things are going in one direction and and then the direction just stops so i think you have to be prepared for that in a way and not you know in a morbid way like you have to always be prepared to be paralyzed at any moment <laughs> but i think you have to be prepared that if you have one goal you know it might be taken from you and so you have to seek pleasure where you can find it you have to seek joy or it's not worth it mm. and do you think that's part of the the process and the progress that you make growing up is that you learn that that things can be taken from you that you will have yeah. setbacks and then when you get enough of them and you start to find your silver lining and you start to realize that the trajectory of healing is all over the place do you, does that bring you comfort? Do you feel like that is, in fact, the process of, of growing up? It does bring me comfort, yeah. Yeah, the idea that things can change so quickly, it does. I think it helps me not to have one idea of what success looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, I have such a broad idea. And when I was paralyzed, um, the only measure of success I had, the only measure was how much I was loved and how much I could love. And those are things that can't be taken away very easily. So, you know, it's like, I can't do a single thing. I can't draw, I can't write, I can't show anyone I love them physically, or, you know, there's, there's so much I can't do, but I can love people. 
And I think when I had that, that was my new measure of success. So I had that, and since I've had that, you know, I mean, I, I have a completely new idea of what it means to be a successful person. And when you just have that one goal, which I think a lot of us do when we're younger, you know, I just have this one thing I want to do, you realize how, how precarious that is. You know, it's so fragile. And um, when, you, when you accept that fragility and so appreciate it, you're so grateful for when it does happen, I think that is, for me, that's been like the biggest step of maturity. Because mm, those are some of the, the most painful disappointments of youth, aren't they? So They're painful. Where yeah. you, you have a particular idea about something you're going to do, whether it's career or relationship yeah. or even the way that you might look or be yeah. in the world. Yes. And then you can't meet it. Mm-hmm. And that, that disappointment is very destabilizing. It's um, so hard. Yeah, it's so hard. I, yeah, I, I, think, I think that is something that is... I, I hate to, to describe struggles as universal anymore because the older I get, the more I realise just how different we all are and how our... Uh, you know, what, what can cause some one person no end of suffering um, is a mere inconvenience to another. And yeah. it, it is so all true. very relative but I, I do think there seem to be particular blocks and particular moments um, in our lives especially when we're young where we don't necessarily have the tools or the experience to describe what's happening to ourselves yeah. we don't yet have a language to say exactly and I think that's why people respond so much to your illustrations you give them a language they can say well that's uh, that's how I feel, and you see that in the in your comments. You know, um, this is she's literally in my head, um, you know, literally. and variations of for pages and pages. <laughs> you said before, you said at the beginning that uh, you don't necessarily think that that suffering has has rewards. Mm. You know, maybe we don't in fact need to suffer so damn much, <laughs> especially yeah. when we're young and we're fragile and we've got a lot on our plate. Yeah. Why do we need to suffer so much? And one of the things that can come out of that suffering compost is empathy. It's one, yeah. of, one of the nicest things that we have, one of the best tools that we have. Yes. What do you, and you agree, obviously. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I would say, go so far as to say you illustrate empathy. What is empathy to you? I think it's, you know, it's the ability to go into the place that is not comfortable for people. There was an illustration by my friend Liana Fink, I hope you follow her, she's really good, um, that was something like, like two people are talking and someone saying like, um, can you, can you like hurry up and make me more comfortable with your suffering, something <laughs> like that. And I feel so often that way, you know, like people are, if you tell someone I'm suffering, it is so hard for the other person to sit with that. I mean, I see this on Instagram, like when I draw from a place of deep pain, I get a million comments telling me what I should do. You know, Go for a walk, what, Mari. Exactly, <laughs> what I should read, what I should, you know, stop dating bearded guys, whatever. And I think it takes a lot of extreme empathy, which very few of us have, including me, I don't have this either, to just sit there and say, I don't know what to say. Mm. That sounds really hard. And I'm here with you, you know, 
and I'm making pasta right now and you can have some, but it is so hard. I mean, I just went through a breakup the other week and I, even my most empathetic friends were saying like, oh, but you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that. And I like, you know, you're gonna have, be single in Australia. But, <laughs> but what I really needed was just to say like, that sucks. Mm. Like there is nothing good about that. It sucks. Like you thought you, you experienced this oneness and it was taken away. Mm. And I think, you know, that takes a lot of strength and it takes a lot of life experience. And I think I'm just getting to the point where I can say to people like, I'm here for you and I'm not gonna try to fix it. And yeah. I'm also not gonna, like something very hard for me because I'm such an empath is to like try to use my pain to like help someone through it. And like, I don't know what it's like to have a miscarriage. I don't know what it's like to I don't know, have like a marriage fall apart. And I've had friends who've experienced those things. And I'll try to like dig in my brain for an experience that is similar or what I perceive of as like similar feelings, but it's not the same. And that's not what they need. They don't need to hear about my breakup in 2010. You know, they just need someone to like be there. And so I think empathy is like going into that really dark cave yeah. and just like, lighting a match and saying, I'm here with you and we're not going to try to get out. We're just going to like be here for a while. I, uh, you know, and I, I do think though, um, you know, you, you said that you try and fix it sometimes with your experiences and that's not useful. Mm -hmm. But I, I have had experiences where people have, if I've asked someone for advice and they've mm -hmm. said, well, it's not the same, but yeah. when I lost my job, I felt very low and very rejected. Yeah. Um, and this is how I dealt with rejection. Mm -hmm. So, you know, finding a theme, I guess, yes. that is related, not an experience, but a, a theme. I, yeah. I have also had rejection. I've also had loss. I've yeah. also had grief. Do you think that can help sometimes? Absolutely. As a yeah. 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 I mean, at this point in my life, um, my best friends have all been to hell and back a million mm. times and, you know, so, so empathetic. And, you know, through go going through those things, you can really walk with people going mm. through, like, the dumbest little things that no one else will listen to. Like, a lot of people brush off people's pain because I think, again, it's sort of a coping mechanism. Like, you don't want to hear about it or you want to, you know, undermine it so it'll just kind of go away. Like, okay, that wasn't that bad. But when you have um, friends who have really been, you know, to some really rough places, um, I think they just, they identify pain so easily and they can like really walk with you through mm. that. And yeah, projecting their own experiences, I think um, can be, it certainly makes you feel less alone when it is something you really identify with. I think the, the, only danger is when you say, oh, I've been through that thing and it wasn't that bad for, you know, like, or I've been through that. I've been just, I've been through something similar and here's what mm, worked you'll for me. You'll get over it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the timeline. You'll find another job. You'll exactly. find another man. Exactly. Yeah. It's like not time for solutions. Right. Moving along to resilience. And, and maybe we should talk about love a bit because you do. You know, you've, you've talked a lot about, um, about heartbreak mm -hmm. and when we have cycles of heartbreak over and over again, there's so many different things that happen, aren't there? Like you start to feel like, oh, well, you know, is it just me? Mm -hmm. um, am, I, am I picking them wrong or yeah. are they, am I disappointing them? Um, yeah. How, you know, how do you start to deal with that 
tumultuousness and get some resilience, I think is, is certainly a question that people have on growing up and is part mm-hmm. of growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really tough one. I mean, I, I've broken up 950,000 times <laughs> and it never gets easier. It's, I mean, it's like getting a paper cut. It always hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it never feel, you never used to it. <laughs> you never think, oh, I've, you know, I've knocked into this table a million times and now it's not, no longer going to hurt. It always hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hurts especially for really sensitive people. I think, I mean, this is something, this is a a favorite comment I often get that's like, why are you so sad about this? Or, you know, like, you need to do such and such. And I I feel really deeply, I just do. And I feel for people really deeply. And I get attached really easily. And I don't share, I mean, I just, LOL. I share a lot of myself every day, but with people, with individuals, I am pretty guarded and it takes a lot for me to open up to someone. And when I do, it's really special to me. And so it's really hard to lose that. Um, I think the only thing every time, the funny thing about breakups, this always like makes me laugh so much. Every time I break up, again, I've done it so many times, every time it not only feels like the first time it's happened to me, but it feels like the first time it's happened to anyone. (laughs) I'm like, has anyone felt this? Like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Like, is anyone, like, are we all still alive? Like, I feel like a storm, like, ripped through my body. You know, it's like, it just destroys me. And it's happened so many times. Again, you'd think I'd be used to it. Um, but and, and in that moment, I mean, this is, and again, this is what always happens. I always want to, like, show the universe a lesson. Like, all right, I'm not going to date anymore. Take that. <laughs> but the only person that punishes is me. And um, in this most recent time, I mean, it's always painful. And this was, like, I mean, this was like a month-long thing. It was so short, but it was so intense. And um, I think when it, when it ended, um, my feeling was, I've done this. Like, I've been over it. Like, I know I've, I am independent. I have, I've eat, pray, loved my way around the world. Like, I don't need any more lessons. I followed all of this person's cues. I did all of the right things. I took all of my lessons. And it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, like, what do I have from this except being really, really sad? And um, so it's so easy to just let, to just close up then. But I think the only thing you can really do is like keep loving and keep being generous. I just wanted to talk a bit about uh, authenticity as well, because these are finding that authentic self. You know, we're trying to talk a little bit about, you know, if, uh, we have talked a lot about the pain uh, necessary I believe, to the process of of growing up and discovering yourself and uncovering yourself and finding that authentic self and and that that clash between um, emotional well-being and authenticity and what you're able to offer other people. Is that something that you think that young people can cultivate within themselves and how would they go about that? Hmm... I think it's certainly something that, you're right, I think younger people tend to have more of and to keep it. I think that's the, 
that's the chick. It's like the end of Call Me By Your Name, such a lovely mm-hmm. movie. And um, at the end, there's this beautiful monologue about how, you know, by the time you're 30, often your heart gets tired. You know, you're, you're, you've done so, you've, it's been broken so many times, you know, you're, you've emoted so much and then you're just tired, you're kind of done with it. And I don't think mine's gotten there, I'm only 31, but, um, but I think, you know, you do tend to lose your sensitivity over time, you have to. I mean, the world is really harsh and uh, it's very easy to lose that. It's one of the first things to go, you know, besides your collagen in your face. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you have to start using wrinkle cream, you also want to check in on your heart, make sure you're still <laughs> feeling things. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it is something that a lot of people have when they're really young and it starts to fade. And for me, I have been able to keep it um, for a lot of reasons. And, um, I was working in a pretty masculine office. I was doing marketing and all of my colleagues were men and I just found that I didn't have a lot of like power to it. Like I didn't have a loud voice. I didn't have, I wasn't very assertive. Um, You know, I didn't have a lot of the kind of tools that a lot of men sort of naturally have or are conditioned to have. And I realized, well, I have these other things. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I'm the one who knows how to talk to people. I'm the one who knows how to write for, you know, a certain audience that they wouldn't know how to write for. And I'm also the one who's really feeling things. And I know how to, you know, be really um, hospitable to people who come in the office because... um, I can sense, you know, I'm pretty good at emotional sensitivity and I know what they're feeling and I can do that. And I think, um, you know, that there's all these tools that we have that aren't necessarily, you know, in our, in our patriarchal world, mm-hmm. um, the, the power is sort of synonymous with, with masculine, traditionally masculine power. And I think there's just so many beautiful other ways to be powerful. Intuition is incredibly powerful and openness. And um, why is it not powerful to cry or, mm, you know, you, to really Were you tempted things? to stray into inauthentic behavior in this workplace? Did you try yeah, and for like sure. man up to get for along? Sure. Yeah, I wore like <laughs> blazers for one thing. And yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I realized by actually bringing my full self to the table, I mean, there is a time and place to like cry over, you know, your <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever is going on that day. Um, but I think by bringing, you know, by being the quietest one at the table, that was okay. Mm-hmm. And by being the one crying over, um, you know, whatever I'm crying about, you know, for, for my drawings and um, as that came out, you know, more and more in my writing, that was okay. That was, that was me bringing all I could to the table. That's all I had to bring. And me trying to be something else was ridiculous. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it just didn't work. And I was such a watered down version of this person I thought I had to be. And that's been such a theme throughout my life. Whenever I've tried to be even a little bit, you know, someone else, it tastes, you know, it's like, it's, it's watered down. It's like, if you are a glass of whiskey, you don't want like, wa- you don't want to try to taste like water. That's going to be disgusting. Mm. You've just got to bring your full potent self to the table and some people will hate it and a lot of people will really love it. Well, I just want to thank you 
on behalf of all of us here and the School of Life. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Dumbo Feather Podcast. And thank you to Murray and the School of Life for letting us share this conversation with our podcast community. We've included a link to Murray's new book and Instagram page in our show notes. This edited conversation was produced by Lizzie Martin and the music you hear is by Dennis Liu. Stay tuned for our next conversation or hear it first by subscribing to the Dumbo Feather Podcast on your favourite pod channel. For more conversations with extraordinary people, subscribe to Dumbo Feather at DumboFeather.com. We deliver worldwide. This podcast is sponsored by Tom Organic and Tushies by Tom. Not only a B Corp, the Tom Co. is an Australian-owned business that exists to improve the well-being of women and families through Tom Organic's range of tampons, pads and liners, and Tushies by Tom eco-nappies and wipes. You can find their products in selected grocery stores and pharmacies nationally and also by subscription right to your door. To find out more, visit thetomco.com.